0: Basically, as I've said before, this is the gospel according to Paul. Paul is going through and giving the Christians, as well as some the Jewish converts to Christianity in Rome, uh, a really thorough way to review the gospel. So the first chapter, he talks about the problem that we all face, which is sin. And the second, he refers to the fact that uh, we have to be willing to, And acknowledge that there is a being larger than us, stronger than us, that knows more than us, that's out there, who can do what we can't do. Who can Mm -hmm. save us from ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I have been given titles to each of these. So like today's I put, God provides a way when there is no way. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start and read the uh, third chapter. And when you read this, if you'll notice, it's actually divided up into three parts. The first eight verses or so talks about the fact that God remains faithful, even when nobody's faithful to him. From like 8 to 20, from 8 to 20, I believe it is, uh, it refers to the fact that uh, no one is righteous before God. God is the only one who could be counted as righteous, and therefore he... Counts his own righteous towards us on our account and the last portion of it from 20 verse 22 one refers to the fact that you know God will it is God's will that we be saved but it can only happen through faith and and Jesus is that only way so keep your just keep your eyes open keep your mind open on that as we go through so that you can see what what paul's doing he's presenting a very clear message of how even when you're out in the streets, if you were to evangelize somebody, it's a very good way to do it. You start by explaining, if somebody has a problem, what about evil? Explain that that evil exists because we don't do the will of God. And then from there, you can explain that, you know, there is a God who is righteous, who is righteous when we can't be. Then on top of that, you know, nobody can can work their way. People will want to work their way, but nobody can work their way. But we don't have to because God's already taken Mm -hmm. care of it. So we'll start in the first verse, and it goes. And this is, again, this is actually continuing the previous thought, which is where Paul refers to that uh, somebody who's just a Jewish in the flesh, a Hebrew, they're not the ones that God calls truly his people. It's a person whose heart is for him. And so the first verse says, one what advantage, what advantage then has the Jew, or what advantage? prophet is there of circumcision, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Let God be true, and but every man be a liar. As it is written, that thou mightst be justified in thy sayings, and mightst overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness Commend the righteousness of God. What shall we say? Is God unrighteous who takes vengeance? I speak as a man. Meaning he's saying that this is a rhetorical question. <coughs> he's saying that you know, if, if, our, if our unrighteousness proves that God is righteous yeah. and that we can't be righteous, is it, unju- is it unjust for God to be vengeful towards us? Six, God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God has more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, though whose damnation is just. So what he's saying again is he's saying, it's that concept that they say, well, if, if it, God's just saying that, you know, if you can't help but sin because you're sinful, then you might as well sin all you want. Might as well just keep on sinning. Might as well, I mean, you can't help it. You just might as well not even, and if God's going to forgive you anyways, if you believe, then you might as well. Might as well. go. And he's saying that's just not the way that it works. He's saying and it was slanderously reported that one of the things that the people did was because Paul preached grace, that the law couldn't save you, people would go around and report the fact that Paul was teaching lawlessness, that you didn't have to do anything, that you could just live however you wanted, and you'd be saved, you didn't have to worry about it. Paul's entire point throughout his entire message, and what he is consistent about, is that if you really believe what God says, you will want to follow what God says. You will figure it out, even without the laws written down, you'll figure it out, because if you want to do right, and you're relying on the Spirit, then you will be able to slowly but surely and very, you know, not through our righteousness, but through what he's done, work to become a better version of you. You'll never be perfect, but you can be a better version of you. But you don't just continue sinning so that you can say, well, I sinned all I wanted to and I still got to heaven. Yay, that isn't God great. No, that's not how it works. If you truly believe you would want to do better, yeah. So Paul's saying yeah. that that anybody who says that, their, jam, their, their damnation is just. Meaning when they die, they'll be surprised because they're not going to heaven Because they really didn't believe what God said. Because yeah. they really didn't. They, they would not let the Spirit work in them. Nine says, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jew and Gentile, that they are all under sin. Now, for this uh, (coughs) next part, I'm just going to point out that, uh, and again, this this is recapping the part before, where I said, what's the purpose of then being the Jewish people? Why did God create a nation unto himself? And Paul says, so that he he had somebody he could impart the oracles of God to, somebody to take care of the law the Old Testament. He needed a people that was separated from the rest of the world so that he could give them the old testament give them you know the torah and he could entrust this to this people that were separate from the rest of the world and in that case it actually is good at the time especially it was it was actually a better place to start as being jewish because you already understood god you understood god as one god not many gods he's just there's one god Hmm. so they you have a little bit you do have a little advantage if you were born in a jewish culture versus the Greeks or the Romans, because the Greeks and the Romans have all these gods and you're, it's just pandemonium out there. But the Jews actually had, they were on the right course. They understood the real true living God. So it's not like God saying, told the Jews to live a certain way in spite of the fact that it wouldn't save them and he was just being unjust. He was put, setting them aside so that they could be special, so that they could take care of and transmit the, the word of God down through the generations. He needed somebody to preserve the word for him. Yeah. So he set his own people aside so that they would preserve the word through the generations so that we have it today in the Bible. So the, 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 and the oracles means the spoken word of God. So in oracles of God. So the, again, the Jewish people needed to be set aside because God had a job for them. He had a work for them. But again, it's not through the law that we're saved. Even in the Old Testament, it was through belief in, Christ, in God. It was always belief in God. Now, the next, these next like 10 verses, believe it or not, this is all Paul quoting from the Old Testament. And I'm just going to throw it out there so that we know what he's, voted, what he's quoting from. He literally just takes a sentence from here and here and here and puts them all together into one big thing. And he quotes from Psalm 50, 53, Psalm 5, verse 9. Psalm 140, verse 3, Psalm 10, verse 7, Isaiah 39, 7, Psalm 36, 1, Psalm 63, 11, Psalm 107, verse 42, and Psalm 143, verse 2. Now, Paul does this to show consistency in the scripture. So when you read this, you're going to see that all these words and sentences were written by people over hundreds of years. And yet the message of the Bible is consistent. It all flows. It's all the same. It's all the same message. It all comes from the inspiration of one God. So we're going to start in 10. And it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre, with their tongue they have used to seat. The poison of asps is in their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God therefore by the deed of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin again so what is the law if the law doesn't save you if keeping the law doesn't the old testament doesn't save you what was the purpose it was the, it's a mirror so that we can see sin. Paul says, if it wasn't for the law, I would have never known that I was sinning. And therefore, I could never have understood the grace of God. If you're not aware of yourself, then you can't understand the grace and the goodness that has forgiven you. You see it all the time. Go watch Kirk Cameron goes out and goes around and talks to people. Six out of 10 people that he talks to have no idea. They're, I'm a decent person. I'm a good person. I'm Paul just quotes half the Old Testament here and says, nobody's good. Nobody people are quick to, to, to lie, quick to deceive, quick to shed blood. People run towards these things. They don't just accidentally do them, they run to them. They enjoy this sort of stuff. You know, people like to curse each other and scream and yell and fight and stuff. That, that's people enjoy that. And actually, kind of, you know, when you're yelling, scream, and fight releases endorphins in your brain you can get a bit of a high from it so there are people who enjoy fighting for it there are people who enjoy doing these things we wouldn't have a problem in the world with people doing things if it wasn't that you couldn't get something out of it you think you're getting something out of it but it's momentary it's just for the moment it feels good but you know when we read in the bible we're talking about things that are everlasting and so paul is making this very clear analogy that that Throughout The whole condition of man is, is that we're not even aware of how bad we are until it gets exposed to us by God. God lets us get a glimpse of it. And we see how that even if a person is by our standards a pretty good person, God is perfect. God is a truly holy, set apart. He's a totally other thing. And He is perfect. We can't you could begin to try, well, I got this and I got that. God is perfect. And anything short of perfect can't be in his presence. So we need a way to get around this. Yeah. We need to work around this. We're gonna to jump to Psalm 53 really quick, just because that's that is a Psalm that really People use it for all sorts of different reasons, but it's a nice, quick little psalm that really points out the condition of man. And it makes this, again, the consistency of Scripture. That Scripture is consistent that people have a sin problem. And they just can't help it. They just can't help it. Psalm 53, starting the first verse, it says, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they... And have done abominable iniquity. There is none that does good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men. To see if there were any that did understand. That did seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They are altogether become (laughs) filthy. There is none that does good. No, not one. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people as they eat bread? They They have not called upon God. There were they in great fear, where no fear was, for God hath scattered the bones of him that, that encompass against thee. Thou hast put them to shame, because God hath despised them. Oh that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion when God brings back the captivity of his people. Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. See what he's talking about here, is he saying in verse five, it says there that people are in fear when there's no reason to be fearful. That's the guilt. That's the guilt that we feel. When you do things, you have a heart. All kinds of people will say, you know, what, what is a clean conscious worth? Well, it's worth everything because there's reasons you can't sleep at night. When the phone rings, is that somebody who, who knew me in the past? Is that something that I did? Is that a bill collector? Whatever it is. A clean conscience is worth everything. And he's saying that's how you can tell, is that you have fear when there's no reason to fear. Even if you are, you're, oh, wow, there's, you know, whatever, a bill collector. What's a bill collector going to do you? But you still, you have fear over that. We fear things in this temporal world because we make them to be greater than what they are. We don't have a a true understanding of the fact that this is all temporary and God is permanent and we need... Mm -hmm. To put our eyes on greater things so that we can use that and help it for us to grow and become better. So, going back to Romans 3, <clears throat> as I'd said in the past, how that basically the, the Romans first 12, verses 12 chapters of Romans pretty much follows the 12 step program. How uh, you have to, you know, life is out of control, we have a sin problem. Uh, Two, there is a God out there who can fix it. And three, we need to become willing to turn ourselves over to him. Paul is going to make the case of how easy salvation truly is. That's what he's going to make with this next part of what he talks about. Verse 21, third chapter, or 31, or 21, says, verse 21, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So what he's saying here is it's as simple as belief. It's always been that way. I'm going to have us jump one more time into the Old Testament and it's time to Deuteronomy chapter ten. Deuteronomy chapter ten. And the reason why I do this again is to to show the consistency of scripture. Paul is not saying anything that the Old Testament didn't say also. The people, even in his day, may have forgotten it and may have been trying to, like like the rich young ruler who came to Christ, and said, You know, I've been perfect. How can I get is that good enough to get into heaven? Because he's fooling himself thinking it's something he can do. So in Deuteronomy 10, in the 16th verse, we're going to start. It says, Circumcision, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, and a mighty, and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, Nor taketh reward; he doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow, and loves the stranger in in giving him food and raiment. See, he says, God does not; he doesn't show partiality. He does not regard one person better than just because the Jewish people were set apart for a purpose; they were called for a purpose to retain the oracles of God to, to. transform this and to transfer it down through the nations. They're no different than any other person. Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Deuteronomy in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The only difference between the two covenants is that in the first, in the Mosaic covenant, he's saying while you're in the law and while you're in the land I'm giving you a law so that it shines upon you so you realize how much you need God. And in the new covenant, we get to see how that Jesus truly is the embodiment and the perfecting of the law and of the covenant. And all things are complete through him. So again, God is not a respecter of persons. Everybody from the beginning to the end who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's how it's always worked. That's how it will always work. God does not care where you're from, who you are, what you've done. It's that simple, that simple. So starting again in the, uh, eh, we'll start in the 22nd verse. In the next verse, there's a word forbearance. A lot of people have a hard time just letting you know. A lot of people have a hard time with it. Basically, it means somebody who delays punishment. If you've done something that deserves punishment, but you're going to withhold it, that's forbearance. And so just putting that out ahead of time so that when he hit it, it doesn't throw anybody off because I've had people have that. But so starting in this 22nd verse of the third chapter of Romans it says, uh, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God yeah. being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, that means an atoning sacrifice, through the faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. Again, now the purposes of this, is that the entirety of it? God, Christ, God, He is the beginning of our faith, and He is the perfecter of our faith. He is at the beginning, and He is at the end. It is because of Him that we can believe, and it is because of what He has done that we that that makes it to where that we have an example that we can look to. So when it says many ways, he's the root and the fruit of David, meaning he's both the offspring, but he's also the, the one who created David. He is at the beginning, he is at the end. He is the one who is just at the beginning when he started everything, and he is the one who justifies. God alone, Christ alone, justifies. All ability, all judgment is given to the hands of Jesus Christ, and he alone justifies and judges. So we will continue on to see that, uh, starting in 26, or 20, starting 26 it says, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believe in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? Nay. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the, uh, of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. That is the point of it all. That's, again, one God. We can say, well, other people believe in other gods. Those are fake gods. There is one God. Somebody bows down to a statue. They claim it's a God. That's a fake God. There is one God. He is the God of all things. They may not believe him. That just means they're ignorant of him. There is one God from the beginning, from the end. He is not the God of the Jews. is the God of everyone. And from the beginning, like last week, we pointed out to the story of Naaman who was literally worked in the temple of a pagan god and he said, I believe in the one true living God. And Elijah said, and you're saved. Go, do the best you can. That was before Christ. That's everyone from the beginning to the end is saved through faith. That's why if we read, and again, in that, the, starting at 29, it says, Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. 30, seeing that it is one God which justify the circumcision, meaning the Jewish people, by faith. And the uncircumcision through faith. Yeah. So, he said, if you're willing to be, if you're Jewish, if you're willing to do all the customs or not, it's always been faith. It's that Simple. 31 says, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Meaning, the fact that we have salvation, the fact that the Spirit comes in us and works within us, it establishes that the law is true. It establishes that the law is right. The law is accurate. The reason why the Old Testament, you know, the Ten Commandments, don't steal, don't kill, don't cheat, because those are things we would do. Those are things that we would. But because of the Holy Spirit working within us, we and and because the laws are written in our heart, we long for something outside of ourselves. We long for God. We long for him to come in and help us. And because we long for that, He does send His Spirit in us, and it works within us. And the fact that we can become sorry, and we can look at our life and see the things we've done, and see our errors, and try to make amends, we're establishing the fact that the law was true and just all along. We're not making it null and void. We're proving that it was right all along. That what it was put down here for was just all along. It was for us to see it and to use it so that we could convict ourselves. So that we can slowly but surely try to become more like the one who saves us. Amen. Amen. It is a guideline. It is, it is simply guidelines for us to live. But faith has always, from the beginning to the end, been how salvation is obtained. Amen. And so just the first three chapters of this of the book of Romans is a perfect illustration of salvation we're lawless, we're sinful. We need to become aware of the fact that we are both lawless and sinful. We need to become aware of the fact there is a God who loves us, who cares for us, who makes a way. And then we need to come up to the fact that it's nothing we can do to gain that salvation. It is purely and simply. And it's so simple that we make it like it's, it's, it can't possibly be that simple. We, oh, it's got to be more compli- complex than that. It's got to be more complicated than that. Simply believe. That's it. Simply believe. In Jesus Christ as the Savior. It's that simple. So, as we go out into our lives, as we meet people, we see people, we can realize that they, when they try to fill themselves they're filling themselves with this world because they're missing a part of themselves. Their heart is yearning and crying for something better than themselves. Mm-hmm. But we need to understand that they don't know what's in this book. They don't know what the, the law says. They don't know the same spirit that we know. And so we need to have compassion on them. And we need to just simply be willing to be ambassadors for christ to them through our everyday work it gets frustrating it gets it's difficult sometimes you just want to share it and just beat them over the head with it just get saved what's (laughs) wrong with you it's simple come on amen but we can't do that because we that will push them away we have to show grace god it says god through his forbearance allowed us to persist until the cross. Why? He's putting off, he's saying, we do things that if God were to punish us for what we did, he would strike us down at the moment we did it. But God holds back and he He allows us to continue in our bumbling and fumbling to, to imperfectly make it to him, to imperfectly make it to the cross. And we need to have that same grace in other people that we can allow them to imperfectly make it to the foot of the cross. It's not for us to push or to, or to badger it is for us to simply be an ambassador, yeah. to, to just be the beacon so that they can see that there is something out there. Yeah. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for the amazing worship and just the time to be with fellow believers and fellowship and to get a chance to be in your presence as a group and as a, as a small church family that we can strengthen our bond and that we can grow and love and that we can, little by little, improve our witness for you, that we can shine a light in this world. Thank you, God, for salvation. Thank you for making it so simple that even a child couldn't get it. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for making it so accessible to us. As for all these things, in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ, amen.